0: when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E.com. Hello, Tour Story listeners. Thank you for your continued support, and welcome to Season 4. I'd like to take a second to thank our friends and sponsors over at Isotope. Here at Ruinous, Chris and I rely heavily on easy-to-use tools like RX and Ozone, for all of our audio repair, mixing, and mastering. Now, Tour Story listeners can get 10% off Isotope plugins or try Music Production Suite Pro for free for 30 days using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-10. To get your discount and check out all of their easy-to-use products, go to isotope.com slash ruinous. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous. And use code FRET ten. And thank you for listening. Hi Johnny. Hello Joe. How you doing, man?
1: I'm yeah, I'm very good. I'm good. It's really nice to uh, be speaking to you. It's been too long.
0: I know. We've been texting. We what do we text every quarter? Every uh, yeah. around the holidays, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm glad we You know, I'm glad we're doing it. We can, uh, people can be listening into our conversations about, uh, you know, <laughs> God knows what, good oh, old days, God. How, how our backs are keeping up, whether, you know, whether you found your bag, right. you know, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Or yeah. Is your shoes. Hat, is your, we can always
0: talk about shoes.
1: Oh, oh <laughs> y- always a pertinent point. Always. A, I'm, you know, I'm putting out, uh, yeah, I'm putting out a shoe with that company Yogi you Next are year.
0: yeah that was one thing we text about in the last six months
1: yeah you know i pull me in straight away get on shoe, <laughs> shoes yeah they're pretty cool they're a cool company and um they're nicer kind of casual sort of thing uh and yeah i mean they look they look great and as i say they're a, they're a cool company i'll i'll hook you up
0: i like those shoes i was checking them out recently again
1: um where are you i'm in my house in manchester well just outside of manchester and cheshire in england on a actually what's been a absolutely beautiful golden autumnal manchester day it's been pretty nice so uh it's good you know i'm in this doing this thing now i'm doing promo and um it's nice to have the record finished it's not it's a funny one with the record because it's a double album the 16 tracks on it and the it's called fever dreams parts one to four and the weird thing is the title came before the concept if you like i like the sound of i liked fever dreams but fever dreams parts one to four came at the same time that was what i heard in my head when i got the title and and then i thought well what's this parts one to four about and then it gave me like a an opportunity then to think in a different way because i i, I thought well yes yeah, i'll just call the album fever dreams but now i had to have this parts one to four like well, what's this about so therefore i've been releasing i'm releasing it in four parts the fourth part completes the album and It's funny how art works because, you know, I kind of got it ass backwards, really. And it was good because uh, then in the writing process, I actually had four whiteboards in the studio and I'd have a bunch of songs kind of some half finished, some just starting out. And then because I had to make sense of this four part thing, I would shuffle them around and go, okay, I better finish this one and I better finish this one because they will go really well on part one and then so you know you get the idea i was shuffling things around to make sense of the of the format uh so it was a good kind of artistic uh premise really a bit of lateral thinking as i say so so it's coming out in in sections anyway so uh i'm doing promotion but the entire record isn't actually available yet but there are six songs available right now it's cool
0: right and when will we hear it all do you know good question end of
1: february start of march what are you up to?
0: I um, do a little podcasting, recording piles and piles of drums. Yeah, you're always
1: recording piles and piles of drums. Oh, <laughs> always. Yeah, if you need anything,
0: just, just ask me. I'll send it well, right
1: over. Is, is I take it now that your whole house isn't basically a drum set, which it was at one time. And let me explain <laughs> for your listeners what that actually meant. was that when you walked around the floor, or when you opened the fridge even – Or when you closed a door, it was all being recorded with shit tons of dub echo on it. So everything you did in the house just kind of sounded like this kind of the inside of King Tubby's brain.
0: (laughs) That was my, yes, that was my experiment with um, living with delay. And I, Uh, I yeah, that was it. I kept turning it on and off. I did it for a week straight to see if it would make me crazy. And uh not that modest mouse rehearsals didn't make me crazy. But yeah. Uh, I needed to add something else to that. Uh you were yeah. hoping it
1: would straighten you out. Yeah.
0: That was when I would just had my and I had the feedback level so I wouldn't it wouldn't be feeding back and I would just you'd set like a coffee cup down and it would go
1: That's it, no exactly. Yeah, it was really ingenious for a whole week. That <laughs> must have been nuts, man.
0: Ultimately it probably wasn't healthy, but it was it was fun. It's probably good for my timing. Um so when did you start working on this record did you was it over the last year and a half two years
1: You know what Joe weirdly enough it was time to make a record anyway uh so I was touring on the last record for a couple of years and then get this the la- we did the last date and then I went on holiday to Greece with my wife I very rarely go on holiday we went and then the minute I hit the sun lounger I literally started writing this record, Mm. um, like the first day of the holiday. But what happened was I started writing, Okay, so that would have been October of 2019. And I was on that holiday, I was getting my ideas together and I was enjoying that. And A couple of things were coming to me and all of this stuff. But then Hans Zimmer called me when I got back from that vacation. So this would have been New Year of... uh, of 2019 going into 2020 uh, to ask me to work on the Bond movie with him. So I was like, well, yeah, sure. And so I stopped writing my own stuff and then went to work on the Bond movie in Soho in London. So Soho's it's a very cool part of town, really. It's got such a history and it's where all the jazz scene was and the folk scene. It's like the East Village, really, of London. And it's, But it's, it's been like that way since, really, I guess, since certainly since the 40s. And kind of real artist kind of enclave, and it's still kind of funky. So, I was down there working on the movie, and you know, as you'll know, it's very stop-start film stuff, and you're kind of on call and you're you're waiting around. So, I'd be going for runs and um, and walking around at night, and so I started again then whilst that was going on to get ideas for my new album, this album. So, the first EP from my record, the second song is called Receiver. And um, I'd forgotten that I'd come up with the the main music for that, the riff, particularly. It's built around this dramatic sort of guitar riff when I was working on the Bond movie. Mm, and yeah. uh, but now I've said that if you if for anyone who cares to listen to that, you, that makes you can sense tell. to me. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realise that until recently. So that kind of thing was going on, and um, yeah, so it was kind of useful, really. So anyway, answer your question. I was. I started thinking about the record, end of 2019. I worked on the movie and then the movie was supposed, just when it was supposed to come out, the pandemic hit. So that would have been like April, May in in 2020. So the movie just obviously that was a a no-no and I would have been doing my own record anyway. So when, you know, when people ask me about whether it drove me crazy in the pandemic because, you know, all musicians want to go out and play um and i will say particularly your brother your brethren drummers mm-hmm. you know it's a thing yeah. you know you yeah. you know. um it didn't really drive me crazy for that reason because it was time for me to re- make a record anyway and in right. fact what happened because of the pandemic i um i i kind of went back to being a real studio rat like i like i used to be maybe 20 15 years ago well right before modest mouse where i was like just you know all over all the technology and um, with the solo stuff right from the very first session of the first solo record, I realized everyone was so used to around me, my, my band and my engineer, everyone was so used to saying things like, okay, start of the session. What microphones are we going to put on, o- on the overhead mics? What microphone are we putting on the kick drum? Cause mm-hmm. I'd done that for years. Yeah. And I was kind of like, I had this music stand and I was trying to hide the fact that I hadn't written all the lyrics for <laughs> most of the songs. Um, uh, like a true front man. <laughs> so I realized at that moment, it was talking twenty eleven now. I was like, shit, I can't really do a good job of being a singer and a front man as I want to be for this band and pull the right microphones out of the drawer and put yeah. them over the kit. I just I don't really know of many front men that I like that do that. So I had to kind of retreat from the studio right there i mean i still know i've always on all the records spend 12 14 hours in the studio and i'm the producer or co-producer yeah. with with my pal doviak but um I, I had to learn to let go of some of uh, the technology sort of aspects of it as plugins and all of that um in order to to do the the really really important stuff write some I know,
0: lyrics man
1: <laughs> that thing because as you
0: know, Joe, you're standing uh, outside waiting for your singer to write his fucking lyrics.
1: Exactly. So and you're I felt, killing
0: well, uh, all the smokers because they're smoking more and more, waiting for you
1: to write your lyrics. <laughs> so yeah. So as so as a band guy, we know that yeah. we're all hot to trot, and we're ever that when the words are done and the melodies are done, then yeah. you can really get to work and do do what we all do so on this record because i guess because of the pandemic and because my studio it's on the, the top floor of an old factory i mean this factory was built in 1880 something part of the northern industrial revolution and it's in the same condition it was from the day it was built you know so mm-hmm. incredible old thing and i'm on the top floor of that and um so when lockdown happened i just snuck in there i you know ignored the, the lockdown, because I was in this building on my own entirely sure. every day yeah. uh, during the daytime, the entire factory on my own. So I was going in there and I was able to go back to being a studio rat. I was messing with the equipment, messing, getting right. into all the technology and all of that, plus doing the words and everything. And then when the kind of the danger or whatever Subsided somewhat me and Doviak who is my co-producer. He started coming in and and we developed it like that So that that was the way the pandemic went for me. Really. I, yeah. I was uh, I went into it on a personal level uh, Thinking if no one if none of my loved ones friends family You know become very sick or, or or worse. God forbid If I don't experience any of that when all of this is over, I'll feel really lucky you yeah. very very lucky and you know, touch wood that's that's happened. I mean, we've all heard these kind of stories, two or three steps removed, and some people have had terrible times. So I'm in that place where I feel very grateful that uh, you know my friends and family have, have. No one's been too affected too badly, uh, and there's been no fatalities. But um, uh, but other than that, I was was going to make a record anyway, so yeah. I ended up with this with this double album, and it's all it's all done. The timing was kind of interesting, but I had been really itching to play.
0: Yeah. Um, people I've been talking to have pretty s- strong opinions on how the or strong experiences on how the pandemic made them feel, either ultimate anxiety or nah, that's nah, cool. I was mellow, took some time yeah. off, and for me it was largely anxiety. It sounds like you yours is kind of in the middle, just
1: work as usual. It just ha- yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting uh, question, really, Joe, because. As a lyricist, I, as I say, I would have made a record anyway, and I would have had some considerations going in and make a record. I don't, at the moment anyway, wait until I've got a thing to say to make a record. I've been doing this so long now. And also, funny enough, talking to you, my role in almost every band that I've been in was towards the end of a cycle or campaign. Both words I don't really care for, but... Mm-hmm. Um, That you've been on the road for a couple of years, or in our case, with Modest Mouse, like three and a half, four years, or whatever, and I start getting this itch, and it's a little bit like the way I've described it is: my role is like I I climb up onto into the crow's nest on the ship, and I climb there, and I I stand up on the end, and I I'm the one who goes first one to go. Album ahoy, new album ahoy. I see there in the distance. Let me deliver some riffs, <laughs> um, and and <laughs> it must be really quite annoying, actually, to some <laughs> band members. Um, you know, I, my mind—I'm thinking about Gary Jarmer from the Cribs sure. and uh, and Ryan, and because back then, you know, those and Isaac may be the. Poor lyricists are kind of going. Listen, I've just kind of dredged my entire soul and my inner world. Only what seems like yesterday, and this fucker is going. Hey, I've got seven rips. This one, I'm sure this one's a hit. Come on, and um, in some ways, it it'd probably be a good thing in a group. But that's what I do anyway. Okay, yeah. so yeah, uh, so. It was time to make a record, as I said. And because that's my way around with the process, I do that first. I I then sit in place and I go, okay, where am I? Where am I at? I've got to make a record. It's more more difficult, actually, than just waiting until you've got a load of ideas. But I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, there's all these blank sheets of paper. There's all this blank hard drive and and sometimes a blank brain. And like, okay, what is it you're going to say? And to get back to your question or your point – going into it anyway i was like I, I couldn't ignore the fact that i thought that i should maybe try and connect with people on this record and that might sound a little obvious but thus i think on my other f- three solo records that generally i i try and do everything except look inside i try and sing about buildings i sing about advertising campaigns i sing about society i think like i look at books about the situation is anything except express my own inner feelings that isn't because i'm shy it's because i just got sick of everybody doing that and i was thinking man when i started doing the solo records i was like yeah susie sue wasn't spilling her goddamn guts the first thing in the morning you know and sure, yeah. there just seemed to be a lot of people who were doing it better than me you know and um, I thought I oh, wanted, you know, the songs have to be about, you know, your every inner, inner kind of your neurosis, basically. Mm-hmm. So I kind of stuck with that idea. But not surprisingly, some songs, when you come up with a tune that is emotional or quite, quite pretty or uh, got an emotive quality, you have to honour that by putting a, a, a lyric with it that is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And that's happened on a few of my records where I've kind of gone, you know what. I really have to deliver something that uh, has got some sincerity in this and isn't some art rock cleverness. And not surprisingly, they're the songs that people most most connect with. And going into the record, because really my audience are firmly in my mind. I like them, you know? And um, I've now learned, built over the nine years of solo records and playing all the shows that I want them to, to connect and I want them to be pleased, I there was a voice inside me saying you know you got to you got to sing about person stuff so with the pandemic i didn't want to i was very eager to not sing songs about lockdown uh, or about um you know wearing masks or about yeah, anti vaxxers yeah. or any of that or the shut stores being closed or anything too I still wanted it to be poetic and have some mystery in there. So, yeah, I was feeling right down the middle, but what's come out in the lyrics is a feeling of displacement and shared concern. So I wasn't particularly anxious, but I know from the words I've written and the songs I've written that, you know, so there's a song on um, the very first D piece called All These Days, for example, and the, it starts off um, drinking with my shadow, escape the sensory, another day tomorrow, tomorrow endlessly. In these days, life is all perfect storms, you know. So because I think there was a lot of that going on. There's a lot of people sitting in their houses, you know, opening a bottle of wine, maybe opening two bottles of wine, worried about what was going to happen to their businesses, what was going to happen to their families, what was whether when the kids were going to go back to school, escaping the sensory, you know, and the album's kind of littered with those not too direct. I still try and keep it poetic. But when you asked me the question, all of that time ago <laughs> i um <laughs> uh i guess the answer you know i'm thinking that the record i'm singing about perceptions and there's definitely a sense of i don't know what the word would be disquiet mm-hmm. um you know unease confusion i i like these are all themes that i like anyway because it doesn't take a pandemic for me to have these feelings anyway right. seriously
0: yeah yeah i i just wanted a yes or a no i didn't need all that <laughs> But that's nice stuff. I like it. It's good. It's clever. Uh, the last thing, uh, the one thing that it, it kind of relates, I, I don't want to d- dwell on the pandemic, but it, it also relates to our relationship and what has uh, improved my life, which is over the pandemic, people got into exercise and stuff. You you kept running, correct? Yeah. You, well, you'll never stop. And yeah. I was kind of the secret runner until we were in a band together. You know, I never felt (laughs) shameful for being the exercise guy or anything, but it was nice to have a comrade on that. Generally speaking, you kind of opened me up to rock and roll health. You know what I mean? And I I, I truly appreciate that because, I mean, I wasn't uh, shooting heroin and having sex with everyone in sight, but I was, (laughs) you know. There's uh, so
1: many jokes I could say right (laughs) now, but go on, continue. uh, But, you know. Yeah
0: you provided me with a little bit of a permission slip if you will to to be healthy on tour which i wanted to be and it was always nice to do that and i
1: yeah well th- no thank you yeah
0: and i think about you because i've i one thing I, one of my good habits is i've increased my running quite a bit over the pandemic. Uh, well maybe my yeah. drinking too but I'm just wondering did you get into any good or bad habits over the
1: good yeah I got into some good ones I think you know I, I was always threatening to actually not be terrible at yoga so so far <laughs> me too yeah me too just that was just my ambition it still is yeah. my ambition just yeah. not be not be embarrassing you know um uh, so I, I got into that and um, you know also uh, kettlebells I hate it but yeah, I've, I've done the kettlebells thing. I think you know the the thing you were talking about is, is um, about you know the rock and roll health thing was was yeah it is a rock and roll health thing because as you will know, so many people equate less so these days, but equate health and exercise and running, say okay with with kind of abstinence, uh, puritanical everything yeah. that rock and, everything that rock and roll is is supposed to not be yeah. and really what it all did for me getting into running it gave me more attitude a really basic way of pointing it was but it's, i used to drink and yeah you know, i didn't ever have any drink and drugs hell i had drink and drugs fun drink and drugs yeah. heaven drink yeah. it was great <laughs> it was great but then i got to a certain point in my life just before we met modest mouse days uh, which i guess was 2005 when we met and um I've been sort of getting it maybe five years before that um I was you know I used to drink before then, and then sometimes you know I get kind of pretty pretty wasted and um and the the work you know the work I was doing if you're wasted is 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 pretty shit i mean yeah. you know there's been times when i've been when I was younger where certain drugs have been I won't lie. it have been useful, it's been interesting. Right. Some psych- psychedelics and part. I mean, the Smiths were a really big pop band. I mean, we we're kind of big everything band, really. But, but in terms of working and the work, you know, um you know, coming from the background I come from, and you know, it was it was the law to smoke hash until uh, it came out of your ears, you know, in every band had to be like that. Yeah, and, sure. and that's all that's all cool when you're younger. But as we all know, I'd, you know, it does stop working for everybody. It does stop working. And um, my my drive towards running and, and sort of – I don't even use the word clean. I just use the word energy was actually to do the same thing as that drugs used to do. It was to give me attitude and give me energy and um, make – Make me a better musician. If anything, but I think the word is progressive. Yeah. I, I thought that it was yeah. a much more progressive attitude. And then also the other thing, when you get to like 40 or whatever, you know, it's just a, f- a frigging cliche, man. Who wants to be that guy? You know, like turning up at your friend's show in the in the dressing room and you're, you know, raiding the raiding the, the, the rider in the mini bar. Like, who wants to be that guy? We we all know we all know them. And uh I didn't want to be that. And, and I, I guess subconsciously, I kind of, there was a probably a survival instinct going on in the back of my mind. I don't mean to be dramatic, but not like, hey, I was going to die or, you know, like lose my family. My family were going to leave me or my dog wouldn't talk to me or any yeah. of that business. It was just about, you know, if I continue on this path, I'm just going to be crap. And um, and then once I got into it, I was it was great. And like, I, like most things in my life, I took it on. I'm like real boom or bust. I'm mm-hmm. a kind of a, I'm a good advert for this kind of stuff, not because I'm virtuous, but bec- because I'm so enthusiastic about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and um, so, you know, we, uh, Hey, I'll know. I-, I talked about it in my book, um, which I think you come out of very well, Joe. Thank but, you. Um, and, thank you. And um, thank you. <laughs> all true. Uh, but, uh, you know, I-, I talk about, I got up to running on that tour we did when we were opening for REM. I was I was running 15, 16, sometimes 18 miles before the 18 miles before the show.
0: And I almost wanted to have an intervention with you on that <laughs> cuz I I remember going like, fucking it's not like nothing suffered but it was always like fucking Christ is this guy going to be able to play the show but of course you'd play two shows then you'd play with REM too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I would walk out on stage vibrating I remember sometimes I would go out now remember as well this to a certain degree, I felt like it's not an, I don't know whether Interloper is right, but I walked out in front of Modest Mouse's audience for sometimes feeling like, Hey, I'm the stranger. Yeah. I didn't walk out there. Like I'm the big shot. I was like, I'm the new guy. You may have heard of me, but the band were already established and, and God, I I could talk about this all day. I loved it, (laughs) but, but it was really, really good for me. I'd walk out there and, yeah, it was kind of good for your attitude to think, I can outrun everybody in the audience twice.
0: That's right.
1: That's so right. It gives you a little bit, it gives you a kind of cocky thing. And I, I also, <laughs> hey, and also I had endorphins were flying off me. So <laughs> it, it was great. It was, yeah. it was you know, and uh, I mean, if I kept up that level now, I mean, I'd like to, but I just don't have three hours to take out of the day because all, all those distances, you know, of course. Yeah, you they
0: take forever. It's crazy.
1: It's interesting talking to you about it because you were there. So you do I do this thing where I used to just feed, feed my sort of obsession. Because I'm not by nature a jump out of bed and run, you know, run 15 kilometers kind of guy, you know. So we would be on a plane from Atlanta and As always in your fine land, every, every flight is at least five hours. Everything (laughs) is five hours, right? So you sit on that plane for five hours and by the time we would get back to Portland, it would be dark. And we've been in the airport. We've been traveling for seven hours and you are feeling kind of a bit gross and you want to just have a, pizza from hot lips and then and sit on the on the sofa and watch south park back then or whatever that's what that's kind of what what life was about but i knew enough about myself that i wanted to do that but i would buy a running magazine in the airport or i would have a podcast on my ipod and (laughs) um and um a running podcast and i would read these inspirational interviews or i'd read about you know i would read about the new garmin watches or i'd look i'd look at be reading about these running jackets and going that's a cool coat and doing so by the time i got off the plane you or the guys would be going what i'd be like right i'm off for a run and you guys be like really We're, we're gonna go and you know have a nightcap and i'd be like no no i'm gonna go for a run and i would go and run 12 miles because during that ride i'd fed this obsession and i was just that was my mo all the time doing everything i could to you know being like the forrest gump with a with a, with a fender check you out you know Solar stuff it's harder you know you when it's you've got you've got media to do and um you know lim- limousines to sit in and uh, uh people to fire That's you know right. um, <laughs> tweeting to be done
0: <laughs> um so you said you were you're itching to play some shows uh I'm itching to see some 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 of these shows. I'm sure the States will be after the UK and Europe. But have you done any version of shows in the last?
1: I have. We did four um, about a month ago. And oh, man, it was fun. The actual show was great. Um,
0: Were they in Manchester?
1: One was in Manchester. It was a very big show with his band, the Cortinas. Uh, mm-hmm. That was like 50,000 people in a, oh my God. a cricket ground. Uh, and it was fun. That was great. And then we did Leeds, London, and Blackburn. And then that was kind of it. And then we did this, we did a live stream from my studio space, which was interesting, you know, because uh, when the pandemic happened, there was a few offers from different companies to, do these live stream things. And it didn't even get out the gate for me because I was like, I don't see myself, me and my band playing the kind of music I do on a stage in an empty venue with like lights, kind of pretending it's a real show. It'd be different if I was just like the way Nick cave did it in this amazing atmospheric venue on his own at piano doing what Nick does. So they you're making a virtue of the solitude in a way, uh, or if I was just doing it myself with an acoustic, but, um, I thought, well, okay, if, if we're going to do it, we'll do what we actually do at the moment, which is we, we are in this white, it's like a loft space with a studio in a way, you uh-huh. know, it's like a kind of classic, uh, and we'll make a virtue of the fact that it's daytime. I want it to be really bright, and we'll play during the day, as I say, and, um, and it will be, let's film a rehearsal we'll play it in sequence and we'll play it without stopping and talking and all the stuff that happens at at rehearsals. we'll Mm -hmm. do it like, we'll do it like a performance. And, uh, that was, it was interesting. It was, you felt you really under scrutiny, you know, because because of what it is, there's no hiding behind flashing lights or any of that. And you have to be, have to be good, but, but the band are great. And, um, I'm very lucky like that. So yeah, I did that. And then, so I guess live wise, it'll be when the album comes out proper, when the last part of this quartet thing comes out, parts one to four, which will be, as I said, start of March. And then we do some, we're going to do some kind of quirky, uh, unusual venues, just a handful, because then I'll go on tour with Blondie around the UK, mm. uh, oh. which will be fun around arenas in, with Blondie. Wow. That'll be great. Yeah. 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 That's been cool. Cause I, you know, I, I had a bit of a thing going with Blondie over the last few years because I wrote a song for them on their last record, kind of purposely wrote it for Blondie, which was a, a really cool kind of process. And mm-hmm. um, they asked me to do it again. So they're doing their new record now. And I hope my this new song I've written for them makes it on the record. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they're always going to stay cool.
0: And that drummer, Mr. Burke. Woo.
1: Well, all drummers love Clem. Quite yeah. rightly. Uh, I realized being in a band with you all drummers, I've forgotten that all drummers love Stuart Copeland.
0: Oh, yeah, we do. That's true. It's
1: because he plays a lot. <laughs> no. Because he's got a lot to say.
0: <laughs> he has a lot to say and a lot to say and with his mouth <laughs> yeah. and, his, and his drum. Um, well, hey, I want to play um, Spirit, Power, and Soul for the people. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, please do. Lay it on me. Let's
0: hear it.
2: So, and don't you know? Now put your faith up in the sky. I see the blues in my eyes. Now it's starting to dawn. What in the world's going on? I seen some shimmy. See a vision of things I'm so down don't you know
1: Thanks. Yeah. I'm pleased with it. Yeah. It's a good kind of, I don't, I don't know about comeback, but it's a good, uh, good song to kind of kick off the campaign, I guess.
0: Yeah. And so you made that at, what is your studio called again? I don't know if you mentioned the name of it or is there a name?
1: Yeah, there's a name. It's called the crazy face factory. Oh, okay. Uh, because, um, the, when I was in the Smiths, the, our first manager was my pal, He's much older than me. Uh, he was kind of became like very quickly became kind of like a father figure to me, really. Um, Joe Moss, his clothing company was called crazy face and because mm-hmm. he lent the band, he money lent the band a lot of things. He lent us money and he lent us his half me his half his house to live in. And, uh, but he, he we used to rehearse on the top floor of his clothing company and, um, in this funky factory and anyway, so it's called the crazy face factory and Joe died about five years ago. And, um, the day after he died was the day I moved into the studio. So it was partly in tribute to Joe. Well, very much in tribute to Joe and, and also kind of a little bit in, in tribute to where I, where I started out really, you know, and just kind of a continuation of, I found myself rehearsing. I get once again in a in a factory, at the top floor of a factory in Manchester. In fact, you saw the original Crazy Face Factory. I took you to see it on Portland Street in Manchester. I showed you all oh, around. Yeah. I, I showed you. We went on that day, and
0: that's right. Um, so we did talk a little bit about the, the sort of the uh, the kernel of of these songs. But when you decided to go into studio and how did you do that? Did you mix demoing or tracking at your house, which a lot of people do now, not just because of a pandemic and then bring the band in? Um, what was, what was the
1: process? So I make very uh, comprehensive demos. They just turn out that way. And it's almost a little like though as well, that I want the band to hear them as, as impressive as they can be. And, um, then they learn the songs and I get the band in and then I recut them again. Because in doing so, things happen, you know, technical things happen, like the main one being that um, that the keys of the, you know, when I find that when I'm singing it with the band, that sometimes the key's are either too low or too high. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a really useful thing. Um, so uh, I, I recut it. There's a thing, you can change the keys and elastic time and all of that. Sure. I, I, can't, I couldn't put a record out with all of that stuff going on, that kind of not for rock music or anyway. So I, I pretty much re, re, redo all my demos with the, with the guys in the band. I play all the guitars and nearly mostly all the keyboards, but it's the same guy as you and Grano on bass and Jack Mitchell on drums. And um, Doviak play, he plays second guitar when we go out live. Cause obviously I, I can't cover everything and sing. Uh, but uh, Doviak in the studio is the co-producer and he's like a, he's a total pro tools Jedi. Mm. He's He's amazing on Pro Tools because he, he's very, very smart and a very clever musician. So he, he approaches it like a very clever musician. Some right. people approach it like a, a technician or a computer guy. He does it half and half.
0: Yeah. Did you, I, I just noticed uh, there's a couple s- sequencers, you know, arpeggio, especially on that song. I just wonder if the demo came from that sequence on that song in particular
1: yeah yeah well i I kind of you know i i I kind of conceptualized if you like that song spirit power and soul before i wrote it Mm -hmm. i wanted to write a sequency song and there's where the track where the track stops and it does this kind of it does that stuttery drum break yeah um a couple of people in reviews and stuff have have, even though if they praised it they've got new order sounds like new order and i get that but it's actually uh it's actually inspired that bit by cabaret voltaire sensoria right yeah. And um so I wanted to do a I love industrial music. I love uh original electro music and you know what was going on in the uh UK particularly in nineteen eighty, eighty one, eighty two, eighty three, 81, 82, 83 with bands like Cabaret Voltaire and uh Clock dva and the Human League particularly. And you know, it's not the first time I've done that. I did it with electronic and obviously on I played on a lot of Pet Shop Boys records. So that kind of thing happens, but uh so i do know how to program that stuff and it's to get it right it's quite painstaking you know um I, it had to be authentic it had to sound like 1981 really which is essentially people trying to sound like Kraftwerk.
0: yeah right that, that's a hook in itself that whole sequence I, that's right the, the bass playing on that song and the bass that's in that sequence is really i love
1: it well thanks joe i mean it's it's all uh but it's all in the sequence there's no bass guitar on it
0: there isn't okay okay
1: but we did that deliberately by there is a way of doing that by you have to basically do three lots of sequences and make it all fit. You have to program the bottom end of it as a thing in itself. It's like a three cogs going together, which I enjoyed, yeah. but the, the secret, the trick, uh, like, uh, the authentic craftworky thing is to just program all of that stuff five or six BPM slower than speed it up. Ah. If it's going too fast, it's just too easy to hit arpeggiator on a, sequence, on a sequence. So I wanted to do it in step time and like write every kind of thing. So, you know, so it's, I, that's something I learned from working with Bernard from New Order. I'll say yeah. that because one of the things is that um, when people try to do what he does, they take out the real, real main ingredient, and that is patience.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My main criteria about whether something is working or not is whether I'm buzzing off it. When I want to play it in the car, yeah, vol- voluntarily. Whether I'm like, okay, I'm going to the store, or uh, I'm driving back from the studio, and I've been working on it for twelve hours or whatever, ten hours, you know, whatever. Um, I should really be. I should really want to be playing it, whether it's a lyric or a vocal melody sure. or a beat, you know. And if I'm not, I'm always a little like, oh, okay. I was always like that from being a kid. Really, I'd just erase and erase stuff that uh, I wasn't buzz enough.
0: Have you been listening to any music that is new to
1: you that you can't stop listening to? Yeah, there's a band I actually think you would really like from the UK called Woo's, Wooze W O O Z E, and on a lot of their songs, the drummer is the singer, uh, mm. the the front man. They're a three piece, and they play kind of a uh, quite hyper synchronized riffs, and um, and they have good tunes too. And uh, yeah. there's a bit of di- bit of Devo in there. Okay kind of like sped up Franz Ferdinand, if you like. It's sort of quite, it's pretty synchronized. I think you really dig it, yeah. Yeah, I'll check it out, Woos. Woos, and then also um, Fontaine's DC from Dublin. The uh, wellspring, if you like, of what they're about, the impulse came from them wanting to write a, a volume about poetry. You know, it wasn't like they got together and pu- plugged in a bunch of instruments. Oh, really? They I didn't know this. Yeah, they, they came together to write, uh, a critique of poetry and uh so the 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 words are really good and they have some cool cool riffs and stuff so uh they're doing really well and that makes me feel good that uh something like that is is uh, appreciated
0: yeah well i'm gonna let you go here in a second but first what are you looking forward to in the next year what what are you most looking forward to
1: I'm quite looking forward to trekking around America because I really, genuinely do miss it. I've, I haven't gone to the States, uh, since I was a kid since 1983, you know, that was mm-hmm. when the Smiths, Smith's first went there. And, uh, this has been the probably the longest period of time. I've been, it's been a couple of years since I've been there, which is weird for me. Yeah. got so many friends friends there and, um, and yeah, Hey, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but I know it, it's not perfect your country <laughs> uh in the same way as ours in pretty much exactly the same way as ours yeah. in fact yours has gone has improved somewhat recently in in the ways that ours hasn't you know we we still have a real dick uh running the place so yeah uh i don't know whether I'm, i've already mentioned it we're going on the road with the killers for seven weeks doing a stadium tour and right. um so and we're playing places i haven't played for years like cincinnati and stuff like that and yeah. um And um, I'm hoping that they're going to let me ride on their plane. You better ride on their plane. (laughs) Too right, man. Too (laughs) right, yeah. right. So I'm going to play a set of all their songs before they come on. That's right. And, and of course, the record coming out, because it's been, you know what I'm like, it's been my life, uh, and therefore, you know, everyone around me has had to put up with that um, for 18 months, the family and... uh, 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 So getting the thing out and... So the family's
0: looking forward to you maybe leaving. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Dad, I got you a plane
1: ticket. It's kind of open-ended. Is is it that time already? Oh. (laughs) Ah, okay. Um, Your bags are at the door. Isn't it about time that you went and saw some great galleries in New York?
0: (laughs) Well, maybe I can... uh, Hopefully I'll run into you somewhere in the States and we can go buy some clothes and look at art or buy some art and look at clothes always the way all right well hey it's been good to talk to you Good to catch up again man yeah yeah i'll see you when you come out come over okay i'll make you some coffee you can pet my dog
1: all sounds good man
0: yeah all right hello to the family etc
1: really nice to see you joe adios see you soon travel safe all right joe thanks
0: Hey there. Don't leave. After this song, Johnny's going to tell us about his first week in Modest Mouse. It's really fun. Thanks for listening.
1: With all these different bands and all this stuff in my career and stuff I said now I get patted on the back for it but in 1987 when Smith split it was like I was getting all this shit for it I had to defend it for years 10 odd years but I said well but the point I was making was I said look at 14, 15 there would be kids in Manchester maybe 10, 15 miles away who had a little band who had a bit of a reputation you know for being kind of good and a couple of times it would happen that a pal of mine in school said hey listen they want you to come and practice with them yeah. or so and so has got a, and that did happen a couple of times. And I would sneak on the train with no money or lug my amp across town and um, uh, to go in a room full of a room of three strangers. And they were kind of like, OK, show us what you got. And I I did that because I thought this is going to be interesting. I thought, I don't know what this is. And I'll probably be better if I if I try even sure. if I just do a yeah. co- just a couple of rehearsals with them. And I said, so in 2005, I did the grown up version of that with modest smiles, I walked into a room full of strangers, and then bit by bit, these people were being added, and then about a week into this thing, I'm standing there playing, it's winter in Portland in this attic, and I'm playing, and and one drummer is playing this kind of angular, kind of art rock, sort of gang of four, (laughs) yes, I mean you Joe, (laughs) it's kind of art rock, kind of gang of four thing, with this, Quirky fella next to him who's playing this sort of African rave you don't know whether it's rave or jungle, so you've got yeah. those two things elements going, and then the bass player is playing the bass line that he has at that moment is literally he's been playing on a pin, penny whistle or a flute. <laughs> and also on an accordion, and it's just the tune he has. No one's told him that. He just goes, well, this is the tune I've got, and now I'm going to do it on a bass. And and it goes, so that's going on. And then you've got this other guy from some hillbilly place who's playing like lap steel, which usually is a no-no for me. He's doing that. And then you've got me then trying to tie it all together with some kind of like melodic sort of makes sense of it. And me doing my thing, riding over the top of it and sort of trying to come up with a middle eight for it. And then you've got the main guy ad libbing some shit that he's probably taken from some comedy movie or a cartoon that he's pulling out of the air. And this is all true. And I remember standing in the middle of that room and going, I don't know what the fuck this all is adds up to. I know what the elements sound like, but I do not know what this is which is unusual for me, but it feels really fucking good. And it feels like you did when you are 15 and you, you, you're not clever enough or contrived enough to go, Oh, let's do one that sounds like this. And you just copy it. It was this, what the hell is this? And it's all the better for it. And I was like, yeah, that was one of the main was probably the main reason for me to make me go. I'm fucking doing this. This I'll, I'll phone the wife and say, these strangers get used to it
0: that's great um, yeah in that time over that three or eight weeks of us rehearsing in that attic everyone was downstairs for lunch except for me and you and jeremiah and you were you were looping something and it was we got everything i think you were just looping the yeah. part yeah and i just i was just keeping time while you were looping it And everyone else, you know, it was like break time, but we wanted to get that in our heads. So we were playing it. Jeremiah was sitting in that windowsill, smoking a cigarette, but also holding a tambourine and just like, and like probably looking at his phone. So that was the three of us. Right. And, and again, I'm just keeping time and I'm just kind of meditating on your, your riff, but I had the weirdest thing happen where I was like without i was so lost i said to myself in my brain this guy's pretty good at guitar <laughs> like <laughs> it, what you were writing all came together and i could hear all your notes and then i was like what i snapped out of it you know like Great. Like, yeah. and then i look, and then i was just watching you and i was like i, I it was the moment i understood it was like wow it was right. it was a it was a real dumb way to come around to being like man i like playing with this guy (laughs) but it was like the the stupidest way to do it my brain was just neanderthal you know because being in that loop thing and not really thinking about anything else but your guitar riff and i just if i would i could have easily mouthed those words
1: i would have even (laughs) sounded stupid (laughs) Uh, oh no there was so much there was so many moments like that it was so inspired when when um we were packing up to go to Mississippi. We had 18 songs on the board, which was unheard of for, well, most bands is unheard of. And um, we, were, we were in really good shape. It was very exciting. We were packing away the gear. The first thing I, I remember thinking about that was, I was like, do American bands not have roadies? <laughs> and, and I found out that the answer is no, they don't. Only when they go on tour. You guys in your quirky punk rock ways. It's like it's not selling out. I've been seeing how much equipment this guy, these this band have. But but where it really gets cool on that one is that the front man, the singer, I I I don't think any singer in any band, particularly who've had a number one record, gets in the U-Haul himself and drives what a, it's got to have been a thousand miles.
0: Yeah, of course. Amazing. It does. Yeah,
1: amazing. But uh so people were packing the gear away. I was being slow, of course, packing mine, and I was watching. The fellas and people were chatting, and I thought, okay, I'm going to tune into the vibe of the room. And um, because I was being lazy and waiting for someone to pack my gear up for me, I, I was still plugged into my guitar, my amp. <laughs> I, and I started playing that riff that became the song People as Places. And um, we were done, we were done with the writing thing. But Isaac liked it so much. He was like, play that, record that, record, play that, play that. and Literally, we were we were done, and we had, we were, had more songs than we needed, and um, we did that literally the day before we actually set off for Mississippi, and right. we were all done after this six weeks writing period. It, that's how inspired we were, even while we were packing away, we were still writing. <laughs>